Welcome to the Williamstown Church of Christ podcast. This is a sermon recording from one of our Sunday worship gatherings. We meet every Sunday at 10am on the corner of John Street and Douglas Parade, and we'd love to meet you. For more information, head to our website, willychurch.org.au. Enjoy and God bless you. Life, life is hard. Amen. Amen. That's not one you always get a big amen for, but life is hard. The struggle is real. Sometimes it feels easy to come into church and just be talking about everything is awesome, everything is cool when you're part of a team. Anyone for the Lego movie? Yeah, I feel like I was almost going to try and get that bit of the sermon in before seeds happened, but sometimes it's easy to come in and, and say everything is awesome, everything is good, but... The struggle is real and life is challenging. And sometimes it's a, it's a trivial speed bump, like you go to get a trim and you say just a nice fade on the sides and a bit of thinning on the top and then you look like Anthony Kalia. And this was not my prayer. This was not my prayer. But, or maybe it's a... Maybe it's a um, a bit more of a situation of frustration and fear because you've discovered that your rental property, you're not the only tenants, and your apartment is also being occupied by mice who pay no rent and are dirty and fast and scary. I've been through a lot of gloves this weekend and disinfecting. Anyway, this is just turning into free therapy for me, so I'll stop. But, like, seriously, maybe you've got kids who aren't sleeping. Or who have no friends. Or maybe you're not sleeping or have no friends. Or maybe your health or your finances or your relationships or your emotional health or whatever it is. Most of us here probably have struggles in some area. The struggle is real. And yet if you're a follower of Jesus, you worship a king who's been through the worst of life and death for you. And he's won, his kingdom has come, and yet the kingdom is still coming to completion. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you you do that thing where you go, let's put this into perspective. Other people have it worse. We live in Australia. We're free to come to church on a Sunday. We should be joyful. God is on the throne. It's a good day to be alive. And that is true. God is on the throne. And today is a great day to be alive. And yet, the struggle is still real. God is on the throne. His kingdom has come. Jesus has won. And Jesus is putting the world the right way up. And yet, it's not all perfect. There is still pain. There is still struggle and burdens and tears. Just going to go for a little walk to um, get my little clicker. The story of, of Scripture um, comes in six scenes. Creation, where God creates everything good. He's so happy with it. So are Adam and Eve. They're naked and unashamed. And then sin enters the world. And ever since sin entered the world, the struggle has definitely been real. 
And, and yet God, because he loves us, because he loves people so much and desires to be in relationship with people and, and see the world flourish and see people flourish, he, he has a plan to renew all things to him through a people, Israel. And they um, stuff it up again and again and again and again. And so he comes and embodies Israel's story and comes to Israel, the Jewish people. God comes himself as a human in the limitations of, of humanity so that we might know him more fully and more truly and in a way that is, is more comprehensive to us. And we get Jesus, the fourth scene in the story of Scripture. And he's amazing and he, he saves the world. And, and like I was just saying, he's, he's the king. He's the king of the Jews and yet he's the king of the world as well. He opens up Israel's story to, to be friends and followers of God to, to all people and all nations. And, and the Jesus storyline is, is the high point in many ways of, of the biblical story. And he does this fantastic thing where he, he says, my little ragtag group of disciples, the 12, the people we've been looking at in Mark, I want, to make, I want you guys to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And he gives his spirit so that all people might receive God. And we have this... This era that's gone on for 2,000 years now, the church and the spirit. And we are the church and we have the spirit. And that is the, the scene that we actually live in now. And then there's one, one part of the story to come, which is the new creation. Where the king who has come, the kingdom is then consummated. The kingdom arrives fully. The kingdom which has been arriving arrives fully. Creation is made new and we enjoy perfect relationship with one another and with God. This is the six scenes of, of Scripture. And our challenge is that we live between creation and new creation. That we're somewhere in the middle there. It's our privilege that we live you know, towards new creation. I'd much rather be in the era of spirit and church um, where the king has come and the kingdom is still coming, the now and not yet, it's sometimes called. I'd rather be in that scene than, than in Israel scene where it's just sort of the promise to come and not yet. You know, we're in the now and not yet, and that's fantastic. We have Jesus' presence in us, and yet there is a struggle that there's something more to come, that the world has not been made perfect yet, that the struggle is still real. We live between... Creation and new creation. And how we live in this tension, how we live in this space, is faith. Faith is how we do this journey. Faith is how we, we manage, sometimes just, but we manage to, to live between the now and not yet. And so I want to um, teach today from the letter to the Hebrews. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you open them up? If you don't have your Bibles, why don't you download the Bible app on your phone? If you've disabled 4G data, you're off the hook. You'll have to listen. But Hebrews, Hebrews is a sermon from a pastor. And the, the congregation, the, um, the pastor 
leads is, is a group of Jewish Christians. And they are facing a hard knock life. They're struggling big time. There's a lot of stuff happening to them. They're being persecuted. And he's urging his people to persevere, to keep going. So if you're, if you're looking, look, open up to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. 11, Hebrews 11 is what we're going to mainly be looking at today. But 10, 19 will be our starting point. So, so the letter to the, to the Hebrews is a sermon. A sermon to say, keep going, persevere. And, and it's this great story about Jesus because he is the climax of the story. And Jesus is the one we hold on to and we cling to if we want to persevere. And he's, he's saying in this sermon, don't drift away. He uses nautical references, which is very Williamstown. So it's almost, it could be the, the letter to the Williamstown Yacht Club members or the letter to Willie Church of Christ because a lot of nautical references. Don't drift away, but hold on. Jesus is the anchor. And then towards the end of, of the sermon, it's, it's really a sermon, Hebrews, we get all this amazing stuff about faith. And so Hebrews 11 is all about faith. And we're going to start in Hebrews 10 because the best way, the best way to do a Bible study, great question to ask first is what happens just before? If I'm studying Hebrews 11, what happens before Hebrews 11? Maybe in the, the preceding verses or the preceding chapter. So what happens before is this, Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So just look on the screen there at, at verses 22 and 23, because Hebrews 11 is about faith. We get some sprinkles of faith in Hebrews 10. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. The full assurance that faith brings. That's going to be important because often it can be confusing. We think faith is full assurance. And yet here it says we draw near to God with the full assurance that faith brings. And then the end of this little pass, this little bit, says let us hold unswervingly I think that's even a bit nautical and swervingly. If you've ever seen me surfing, it's a lot of swerving and not much holding on. But let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And we're going to find out in a little bit that faith and faithfulness are actually the same in the original language. That this concept of faithful or faithfulness is actually the same as faith. So we, jump, we go on, and there's, there's a bit more happening in, in 10, but I'm going to jump ahead to the end of chapter 10, verse 36. The, the pastor is an expert in the Old Testament, and so he loves quoting the Old Testament, and he quotes here from Habakkuk. And he says to the congregation, you need to persevere. 
So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For, here's our first quote, in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And that's talking about the new creation. He's saying, when Jesus comes, which is going to be in a little while, to, to unite the whole creation to him, he will come and will not delay. And second quote from Habakkuk, but my righteous one, my righteous one, that is Israel. And Israel's story becomes the church's story. And so that is us. My righteous one, my righteous people will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back. We, church, do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. And then the next line in the sermon, we often have a chapter break, right? We have a chapter break there if you've got your Bibles open. And if we're doing a, a reading plan, we break and we, we come back tomorrow or we miss our day's reading. We come back on, on Tuesday and we, we read the next lines by faith. But, but in the original context, this is a sermon. The next sentence says, now faith is... Now, faith is, sorry it's a bit small. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's the NIV translation. I'm going to keep that there, but we're going to go into some translations in a moment. But what is faith? That's the question. That's the question that would make sense. You'd want to ask after that what we just read in chapter 10, and, and the pastor says, now faith is, and provides a, a somewhat of a definition. And looking for definitions in the scripture can be helpful, can also be, be troublesome, because often if we're looking for a definition and want to find it, we're actually letting our search for our understanding of what a definition is, probably a systematic, clear definition, sort of shape our search the way the scriptures seek to um, provide understanding is not always in a clear definition. But this, this verse sort of has a go of it. And so when we're thinking about what faith is, I see a few sort of options out there at where we land. So some, to some, faith is just believing in God and believing God does his thing and I will be content. And that's what faith is. This is this, that sort of um, style where you don't pray for your will to be done because his will will be done. And so you, you have, um, you know, many churches go, we're not going to bring too much of what we hope for to God because his will will be done. I have faith. I believe in God and I'm content with whatever happens. His will will be done. So that's one, one end and that's one approach to faith. Another approach to faith is, is at the other, other end of, of theological debates and that is one where faith is fervent hope and, and people pray and kneel and beg and plead that God will deliver and God will come through on this thing that we hope for and that we trust he has promised. And that is, is, that is faith and that is many people's understanding of faith, that, that faith is is in God delivering or in God's promise to you or to your family being achieved. Or, or some people sort of sit in the middle and it's like, 
oh, I'll pray for what I desire and I'll, I'll plead before God and then I'll have this little disclaimer. But whatever will, you know, whatever you will, God, you know, override that prayer if it's not your will. It's like a disclaimer at the end of our prayer as if God needs our permission to do his will. So in our sort of common understanding of faith, there's, there's tension. And I think the tension is between hope and between contentment. And I think hope is important and contentment is important. And sometimes awful things happen. And sometimes our prayers are not answered or our prayers are answered with a firm no. We pray for healing and healing and healing. We pray that family members will become Christians for years and we, we don't see anything. And, and in that we, we learn contentment. That, that God is still God. And somehow God is still good. And other times we, we have hope and we see God do miraculous things because he is, is powerful beyond all. And he does heal and he does deliver and he does set free and he does bring people to him. So we've got to work out what faith is. And so I, I did a bit of a, a search of translations because sometimes that's helpful. And this verse, Hebrews 12.1, is, is very um, contended. The NIV, which is what we read, says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And the CSB says something similar, but slightly different. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. The New King James, which isn't one of my favourites, but if you're a poet or a just a sort of true um, veteran of, of evangelicalism. Maybe you're a, a big fan of the New King James. The New King James does a really good job here, I believe. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And as I, I read through the, the scholars, and they sort of helped me with the original language because my Greek is not very good. Actually... Most scholars don't end up saying the NLT is the best translation. It's sort of the NLT is, is the one that's, that's pretty chill and easy to read, the New Living Translation. But the New Living Translation nails it here. The NLT says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Faith shows the reality of what is hoped for. What this means is that faith is active, faith is even relational, and faith demonstrates what we hope for. Faith itself is the evidence, it's actually the faith which is the evidence of things we cannot see. It's not believing in something we cannot see, it's not believing in something without evidence. It's actually, faith is a relationship. Faith is a relationship of faithfulness. And active faith is actually what demonstrates, what shows the reality of what we hope for, which gives the evidence or is the evidence of things we cannot see. And that's why it's important that, that we understand faith and faithfulness are actually the same in the original languages. That they're not two separate concepts that faithfulness is a, a relational quality or a, a characteristic and faith is this sort, of, um, this sort of thing that you can have faith where you are faithful. Faithfulness and faith are actually one. 
And, and one way I've, I've seen this illustrated is, is through something a bit funny. So Charlie Aiken, I might just get you up here prepared, but you don't have to. You can just sit in the front row for now. I wonder if I said to you all, I have faith that there is a stool behind me. What would you say? I have faith that there is a stool behind me. That's, that's not faith. It's more sort of stupidity, isn't it? Like, it seems that there's no stool behind me. But if Charlie, you just jump up and pop a stool behind me. It's, it's cheating, but I've not seen what's going on. I'm looking at you all. I trust Charlie Aiken. I trust Charlie. He did, he did the tech for parenting course on Tuesday night and, and worked out all the issues. He's a good friend. I also trust you all, my community. My community. And I trust my community to guide me. No? I trust my community to guide me. I trust Charlie who, who loves me. And then I experience the seat, the stool carrying me, comforting me, lifting me up. My butt's feeling way better than when I was, I was standing up preaching, but I can't see you all. But that experience of the stool carrying me, comforting me, lifting me up, more than just belief that a stool is there, more than just hope that a stool is there, but an active relationship with the stool, an experience of the stool, which I was able to get to because I had people that I trust make sure I was on the right path. That is faith in the stool. Faith is active and relational. And so that's the first verse of Hebrews 12. Thanks, Charlie. You can put that back. Give him a hand, everyone. Great job. That's verse 1, right? And so that's our sort of definition of faith, if you like, verse 1. There's now 39 verses, and we're not going to read them all, but um, there's 39 verses then telling us what faith is, not through giving us a definition, but through telling us a story. And this is how Scripture often tells us what is true or often helps us understand, through story. So Hebrews 12 from verse 2 says, This is what the ancients, the people of Israel, were commended for. It is by faith that we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. It's by faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. By faith Noah, when warned about things, did not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. So Noah's actions happened by faith. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. 
So through story, through the story of Israel so far, I start to see that faith is living and acting as if what God promised were true. When I say were true, I'm not saying it could be true. I believe that what God has said and promised is true. But faith, if faith is living, if faith is active, if faith is relational, then for all of you, it's living and acting as if what God has promised and said, particularly in his scripture, is true. Or for, for the ancients, if what God promised was true. And faith is living and acting with the new creation as your true hope and destination. That they were looking forward to the city with foundations that architect and builder is God. And we look forward to the new creation as our true hope and destination. This is what I start to see faith is. Hebrews 11, 13 says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, so they didn't actually get the things that were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth, because their home was not earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. It's like this earth. If we want to put our treasures on earth, go for it. You can do that. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, a heavenly city. Faith is living and acting as if what God promised were true, and faith is living and acting with a new creation as your true hope and destination. And when the struggle is real, this is very helpful, even if it seems quite optimistic at times. And so then Hebrews 11, it's sometimes called like the hall of faith, just this, this great list of heroes of faith. And so we power on, verse 23 talks about Moses, who's one of the great heroes of Israel. It says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king, Pharaoh's edict. 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin of Egypt. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value. Anyone doing maths? Which one's greater value? Is it the arrow going that way or that way? Of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. He was looking ahead. We keep seeing this looking ahead sort of language. And then this bit, I love this bit. What more shall I say? This has gone on, right? We're up to verse 32. It's like getting long. It's a long sermon. What more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak. It's not Obama, different Barak. Samson and, and Jephthah about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames and escaped the edge of the sword, 
whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Like, this is the faith I want to see. That's the, re- the reward or the result that I want to see. And yet there were others also commended for their faith. But there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Somehow that is also the life of faith. And I think many of us probably want to see the life of faith of the, the previous half of that section. Yet these were all commended for their faith. And yet even the ones who were the victors in life, none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. That God had a plan for new creation, so that all the heroes of Israel's story whether they were the victors or the losers in life, would with us be made perfect one day in the new creation. The people were not commended for for faithful victory. They're commended for faithful plotting. Not because they attained the goal. Not everyone was successful. God doesn't promise ease and success. But he is faithful, and it is faithfulness which is the goal of this life. And Jesus, the one who is faithful, will bring us to the ultimate end and the ultimate success with us all. And then we get the first three verses of Hebrews 12, where it all begins to make sense. The pastor says, Therefore... Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That list we just looked at, there were some, some winners and some losers in the faith community. Jesus was one of the losers. And yet he's the great hero of faith. Jesus endured the cross. Endured its shame. Endured such opposition from sinners. And yet he's the great hero of faith. And notice the language of this. I love this section. From from this, I get one of my favourite metaphors of the Christian life, the fun run. Does anyone here like running? A few of us. Most of us 
don't think the words fun and run can go together. I know George loves running. He's a gun. Training for Boston Marathon 2025 or something. That's the next cutoff date you can get into. But, but a lot of us don't find it fun to run. But I, I think a fun run, maybe we, one day we should do like a 200 metre fun run. That would be fun. Maybe church picnic next week. We'll do a 200 metre fun run together. Or 20 metres. I win over 20 metres. I've got powerful thighs. <laughs> Once we're over 100 metres, I'm gassed. But... but the Christian life is like a fun run. Verse 1 says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. The Christian life is like a fun run, but, but not one where it's a competition, one where we all do it together and we all want one another to succeed and finish. Unfortunately, the struggle is real, and so it's not a 200-metre run. It is, it's not even a marathon. It's one of those ultra-marathons. It's long. It's hard. But it is to be done together. It's not to be done to win, to compete against one another, but we carry one another across, along the run, towards the finish line. And we are to persevere so that we might not grow weary and lose heart. And so in this, this fun run, this, this life that we, we run together, the pastor to the Hebrews says, if you're going to do this run, then throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And I think, I think we get this idea of the sin that easily entangles, that sin might, might be a blockage to our, our running, but also just everything that hinders. That's not necessarily things that are wrong, but just things that might be hurdles. We don't want anything that hinders in this race. So throw off the sin that easily entangles, but also throw off everything that hinders. Maybe it's good things. Maybe it's things like, like social media or using your mobile phone before you say hello to your spouse or hello to your God. Maybe it's, it's food, which is good, but can so easily become something that, that's an addiction. Maybe it's alcohol, which is fantastic. I love beer. But it can, it can hinder people's runs. Maybe it's some relationships which can be really good but can, can get in the way. And I'm not saying, you know, get rid of any relationships that's, that's hard. But if there are relationships that are getting in your way, you might need to just evaluate. But we do this together. The other thing I love about this is it says, let us throw off everything that hinders. It's got this... This corporate, not business corporate, but corporate as in common language, that this is not your race, but this is our race. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. The other thing I see here is that we have a family tree. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's the whole story of Israel that's just gone before us. It sinks we have that as our legacy. Therefore, we can throw off everything that hinders. Therefore, we can run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And so I want you all to know that you have a family tree of faith. And you have a legacy of faith that has gone before you. Even if you're the first person in your family 
to follow Jesus. You are adopted into the family of God and you have a family tree of awesome faith. I'm talking Yao Ming. Does anyone remember Yao Ming, the basketballer? He's like this huge, tall, like seven foot 50, which isn't even accurate way of saying that. Um... What's, the, what's the system America use? Imperial. Imperial system. You can't have seven foot 50, but Yao Ming was seven foot 50 because he had parents that were both like incredible athletes and big, and he was bred. He had, he had family tree, he had the genes to be an incredible basketballer. Or Jay-Z and Beyonce. Does anyone know Jay-Z and Beyonce? They've now got three kids, and I believe we're on the verge of the next Jackson 5 in the next few years. I'm talking Blue Ivy leading, Sir Rudy, Carter. It's going to be awesome. We have that kind of family tree of faith. It's Israel. It's the family we've been adopted into. That's our, that's our backstory. That's our history. That's our family of origin of faith. And so we can look to them when the struggle is so real, when it's so hard. And this is why I encourage you to know your Old Testament because that's where we see the story of Israel. That's where we see these people have gone through the ring. It can be so hard. But take heart from the story of your ancestors in the faith. And finally, the great ancestor in the faith. The coach of our fun run team, the captain, the pace setter. I'm still trying to work out how to run at a pace. Like, it's hard to stay fast. I run way faster when there are fools on the track, you know, Princess Park, because then they're my pace setter and I try and beat them. If I'm running on my own, I'm running like a six minute K. He's our pace setter. He's our performance enhancing specialist. He's our trainer. He's our medico. He's our father. He's our friend. Jesus is running the race in front of us. And he is what keeps us going. So fix your eyes. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. He endured the worst of death and life for you. So consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If you are running this race and feel like you're growing weary and losing heart, then the best thing you can do, even if you're not feeling like that, but you know this is a long race, the best thing you can do is fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him. We need to know the the road we run on, that is the world and the life and the culture. We need to know our own legs and our own body. Know yourself. But most of all, know Jesus. Look to him, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. The trainer, the pace setter, the captain, the coach, the performance enhancing specialist. I love that one. The one who carries us. I think that'd be illegal in a fun run. But you know you can be carried in this race. Our father, our friend and our saviour and our king Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Why don't you close your eyes?
and Jesus is all around us, but why don't you tilt your head up just sort of symbolically because it helps us understand this metaphor of up, even though he's everywhere. Tilt your head up. And Jesus, we just pray now. We, we look to you. Help us, Jesus, with this race called life, which is hard and which is long. Help us look to you. Amen. Let's stand up. Let's stand up and we're going to sing of this great Jesus.